On today's episode, we're going to talk about, number one, turning a hobby into a full-scale software-as-a-service business, two, creating a scalable system that's valuable to others, and three, finding your inner kid voice. Let's go! This is the Blind Entrepreneur Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs and business professionals execute their vision by guiding them to profitability. Today, we have Brian Gruber. He is the co-founder and technical creator of Lucky Orange, a software as a service for website owners that lets customers quickly visualize how people are using their website through screen recordings, heat maps, analytics, chat, and more. So they can make meaningful changes to their website and increase conversion rates. I do want to start the podcast off by saying uh, that we are a customer of yours. However, this was 100% inspired by your story and the incredible software that you created. So, Brian, congratulations on everything thus far, and welcome to the show. How's your day going? Uh, it's going great. Thanks, Jonathan. Really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, man. Anytime. So before we get into the, the heavy-hitting and hard-hitting questions, we have to start the podcast off the same way we do every single time, and that is with an icebreaker. So imagine you just had the absolute best day of your life. Where mm-hmm. are you going to eat, and what are you going to order in order to make your day complete? Yikes. Okay. Uh, the problem is I like so many different foods <laughs> in the world, so I'll have to combine a bunch of foods. Do it. Um, let's see. Burrito sushi burger. You know, you got the sushi part, right? All right. <laughs> I'm def- definitely a sushi uh, connoisseur. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this food. It's called a shawarma. Shawarma, yes. Yeah, a shawarma. Have you heard of that? Yeah, it's like a um, it's like a, a beautiful yeah. ma- mountain of meat that they just kind of cut, right? <laughs> you got yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, it's like a Israeli version of a, a gyro or gyro, whatever mm-hmm. however you want to. Say. So I always wanted to open a restaurant, and it would serve sushi and shawarma. Nice. And I wanted to call it Shh. <laughs> that would be its name. Nice. Nice. So that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm eating some sushi and some shawarma. And I dig fantastic. it. Very yeah. cool. Well, I respect your answer. So, Brian, without further ado, please tell us a little bit more about yourself. Who are you and what is your story? Mm-hmm. Okay. Great question. Uh, what chapter of my story would you like to hear first? Let's start with the most exciting part. Uh, okay. Let's go with the entrepreneurship uh, aspect of it. It's a, it's a great question. Let's see. Um, I I guess we could start a bit in high school for this story. Um, I was always interested in computers. Uh, I was always interested in programming. And I grew up on like an Apple IIe. I don't know if anybody remembers what those are. Uh, I was coding, playing games like Moon Patrol and... <laughs> I don't know, Math Blaster, weird games like that, if anybody out there remembers any of those games. (laughs) Fantastic games. I love them. Um, And I grew up coding that way. I actually wanted to be Batman when I grew up, and I wanted to code like Batman's supercomputer where I could look up anything. Uh, And one day I tried to do that in basic. I think I was like 10 years old or something, and I I didn't get very far. Uh, needless to say, I did not accomplish my dream of being Batman, uh, other than going trick-or-treating with my children. Um, but uh, I was always interested in 
I guess, chat. Uh, the the app, like making chat apps. So well, something that was really big in the day for me was, uh, if you remember America Online, hope you remember that. Um, I really grew up in America Online chat rooms. And I learned a lot about coding from America Online chat rooms. Uh, and it was a time where like, you could just go into these chat rooms and you can ask any question you wanted. And there were really nice people in there. And they had all the answers. And it wasn't scary. And it wasn't you know, a bunch of predators and things like that online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the age that I grew up on. And I was with even just how a chat room works. And how do you code a chat room? How do you do things like that? Um, so I started kind of coding these fake chat rooms that I would build out and have my like high school buddies log into, and we'd all chat in this chat room and, and it was fun. Um, I had a few Easter eggs in there where I could open up their CD-ROM drive if I wanted to. Uh, (laughs) other than that, um, it, it just always fascinated like chat rooms. It always came back to chat rooms. The reason I bring that up is when I look back at all the different things that I started trying to create, um, they'll all have this theme of chat rooms somewhere in it, and even Lucky Orange. Um, So anyway, I was building a lot of websites in high school. I was making websites for other people, and I did that for many years uh, into my 20s. I did that after I got married. It was I was just freelance building websites for other people. They'd come to me some idea I'd there um, and I was getting sick of it um, and I was really getting tired of just working on somebody else's project and following their instructions and you know having that over me uh, it brought in money and I paid my bills and I supported my wife through it but I was just getting sick of it um, and so one day uh, I said I can't do this anymore <laughs> um, and I want to try something very very different and I went to something that I was not familiar with at all, and that was dogs. So uh, I actually took a big leap, and I said, I want to start working with dogs. Nothing to do with computers, no more sitting at a desk. I want to be outside dealing with dogs. But I wanted to work with dogs that were highly aggressive dogs. Mm. Like dogs, I don't know if you ever watched Caesar Milan. I was getting really into watching Caesar Milan at the time. And I was like, wow, I want to do that. That looks amazing. Like, how do I do that? I wrote a letter to Caesar Milan. I'm like, you know, let me learn from you, which I got some automated response and he didn't let me learn from him. But um, I moved on Damn and him. I kept looking. I know. What's with you, Caesar? Caesar? Are you listening to this, Caesar? He, he, um, he usually does listen. So he often. usually does. Yeah. He usually does. Well, I'm here. Um, so anyway, uh, I found uh, somebody else. Uh, who uh, actually worked with like the Michael Vick dogs? I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. that whole thing when there was like. I'm from Philly, so I know that very well. <laughs> yes. So when they finally got those dogs together and they said, What do we do with these dogs? Um, she actually helped uh, try to rehabilitate those dogs. Mm. Uh, and I found her, and she's a really sweet um, instructor. And uh, I went and like mentored with her for a couple weeks. Uh, pretty intense stuff uh, with that those kind of dogs, um, uh, and and I wanted to figure out how to do that. 
that someone else was doing it. And he used to work for like eBay. He was also a software engineer. And all these software engineers just decided, I'm sick of doing software engineering. I want to work with aggressive dogs for some reason. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, I, I switched to that. And I started doing that. Um, and it was great. And I really loved it. Uh, and it was exciting and thrilling and dangerous and fulfilling. Um, and I got to work with people instead of computers and try to solve problems that were beyond programming. Um, but at the same time, uh, I didn't want to fully give up my computer career because I, I didn't feel I did okay. I you know I I built websites. I freelance. Now it's fine. But I never felt like I really lived up to my full potential in developing software or developing my ideas or something. So um, while I was doing that, uh, which was paying the basic bills of the house, right? Uh, I still worked on projects on the side. Um, and I had a lot of projects on the side. So Lucky Orange was just one that followed from a bunch of different experiments where originally I was under the mentality of, I want to be a millionaire. I want to come up with some million dollar idea, right? And I'm going to do this online. That was the original. Then I matured and I realized that's really hard to do. But something that's not as hard to do is, can I make a website that generates $1,000 a month or $2,000 a month? Can I do that and make something that's recurring revenue? You know, I felt like I could do that. It would be hard, but I could figure that out. And then if I could do that, can I do that 10 times? Right? So then at that point, that's significant income, recurring revenue. So I said, you know what, I'm going to keep trying a bunch of ideas and I'm okay if they don't work and I'm okay if I just have to get rid of them and close them down. But I want to just keep trying idea after idea after idea after idea until I can get a couple that do that. Mm. Um, and there was a few before Lucky Orange. I mean, I must have, I probably did about 10 different ideas and some of them never saw the light of day. Some of them were probably really great ideas even still. But for whatever reason, I just shut it down. I didn't think it was going to take off. Others did see the light of day, but didn't get any traction. But I kept going at it. And I think something that made me more successful is probably the, is the fact that I could build these things, right? So if you're an entrepreneur and you want to create or software as a service or whatever, you need capital. You need to be able to hire developers. You have to create these things. But I didn't need that. I just needed time because I could build it all myself. So the only thing I was giving away was my time. Um, and at the same time, I was bringing in money rehabilitating dogs. Mm. So um, it's an important distinction because I think a lot of people think like entrepreneurs that are successful take risks. And, and I really never felt like I was taking a lot of risks. Mm. I felt like I was highly minimizing my risks, mm. right? I wasn't without, I wasn't like, I'm quitting my job and creating, I'm going to go after this dream to make something. Or I always had a side job bringing in enough money to pay the bills and support my family. And then I would tinker on the side in the wee hours of the night or whatever it was. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, that's one key differentiator, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so now, you know, uh, your, your business now, um, your business has stemmed from a particular idea, uh, of a side hustle. 
that turned into a full-fledged business. Um, mm -hmm. How was there a particular time where you saw where Lucky Orange was going and you're just like, you know what, this, this one has legs, this one's different than all the other ideas I came up with. Absolutely. So yes. So before Lucky Orange, uh, the closest idea where a Lucky Orange kind of evolved from was an idea. I, I was working along with my uh, brother-in-law on it and we would kind of meet and just come up with ideas. And I, I always had this idea going back to those AOL chat rooms I always had an idea that, um, because I learned so much from those chat rooms, but then I felt like, where did the chat rooms go? They turned into something else. They kind of turned into uh, messaging and Facebook Messenger, things like that. But there was still value there. So I thought, well, what if you could take everybody who's on a website and group them together into one real-time chat room? And then the topic of the chat room becomes whatever the website is about. So we had this idea, um, and we started with that. It was something called Webby Chat. Hmm. We made it up called Webby Chat. Uh, and we let website owners put some JavaScript on their site, and then all of a sudden a chat room appeared, but it was like on the outside of their site. So it hugged their site. Hmm. And any page you went to, the chat room kind of followed you through the website. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then you could know who was on the site, right? And you could communicate with who was on the site. How many times you're on a site about a certain topic and you're really looking for an answer about that topic, but you just want to ask somebody and there's no one asked, right? Mm -hmm. So that was the idea of that. Of that. Um, and it worked out well in some cases for very busy sites. And in other cases where people didn't have a lot of traffic on at the same time, it actually made them sad, right? It made my customers sad and unhappy because nobody was there. Chat room was empty, and then just come to that chat room. And there's nobody in the chat room, mm -hmm. um, and it had potential, and there was, and it was kind of growing. It was generating a little bit of revenue, um, and we probably could have stuck it through and iterated on it, iterate on it again. That was just one of those ideas, like let's see if this sticks, right? Um, and it was neat. It was a neat idea, but along the way, I kind of realized something. Um, I realized that my the whole point of this was I just want to know like who's on this website and what are they doing. So every time I would build a website, mm. I would launch the website and I would have no idea what was going on for the people who are using the website. Mm -hmm. I would just see traces of them. I would see an email or you know maybe I've set up some event thing that said someone created an account or someone made a login or I'd get a ticket that said I can't use your terrible site or whatever it is, right? But I wouldn't really have any idea, and I'd have to wait forever to figure it out, and I would just be guessing, how are they really using my website? And I said, man, I really wish when I launched this brand new website, because every time I was launching a new idea, I'd be there like, okay, now what? I launched it. Is anybody there? Are they using it? How are they using it? What's going on? So I really wish I could see what they were doing. And then I realized that the infrastructure kind of for a chat-based system <laughs> If I, if I, instead of sending chat messages through, I all of a sudden send mouse cursor positions through, mm. right? That's the chat message. I'm sending, where's the person's mouse? What button are they hovering over or whatever? It was the same thing, like infrastructure wise. It was just a different idea. Um, and I thought that would be extremely useful to me. So I did what I always do with these ideas and I just tried to get distracted and I started creating some prototype that's very minimal. I'm very big on creating extremely minimal 
prototypes just to get the basics working and see what that feels like. Mm. And then if it feels good, then I can iterate on iterate on it. I don't worry about scale and I don't worry about you know design or anything. I just want to see like the core functionality. Is it useful? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I did that, a kind of as a pivot from Webby Chat, a different idea. And all it did was show who was on the website and their mouse moving across the screen. That was the minimal viable product of Lucky Orange. And I wanted to see, is that useful on its own, right? And it was. It was very useful to me on its own, right? There were people I would say that idea to, and until you kind of see it in action, I know people would say, that's not useful at all. Why would I ever want that? And I said, no, I think you'd want that. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and until you can really articulate it or see it visually, it didn't make sense. But I knew when I did it for my website, that was so useful for me. Just move across the screen as though I'm right behind their shoulder. And I could really see, you know, are they messing up? Are they clicking this? Why aren't they clicking this? What's happening? So that I launched as a prototype. And I launched that. Again, kind of as a hobby prototype, just to see what would happen. Um, and I was naive about a lot of things about about that. I was naive about the cost. I was naive about the scale, all that. But I just wanted to see if it had interest. So I did launch it. I put up some PayPal subscription or something. I think it was like $7 a month. I wanted everybody to be able to have this technology. I didn't want it to be hundreds, thousands of dollars or so. Like let any, even the smallest, you know, website be able to have this thing. And I don't know, maybe I said something. I probably said it was like unlimited resources or something, something ridiculous mm-hmm. because I was new and novice and naive about it. <laughs> um, but I, again, I just wanted to see if anybody would use it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and they did use it. They did use it very quickly than any of the other prototypes that I put out there. There wasn't the same kind of sales thing. It was I didn't have to convince them. It was just like after like a week, there was already people who wanted to pay money for the minimal viable product that really barely did anything. Hmm. And that's when I knew there was something behind it, hmm. right? Because if they're willing to pay for that really minimal viable product, you can iterate on that and make it into something even better, right? Um, yes, so that, that's kind of how it started as that as that hobby um and then reality sets in with like okay i've got something here you know and i, I need to do something serious about it all at the same time i was still doing the dog training on the, on the side i'm so so again i'm not taking the giant risk that people think if you're gonna you know be successful you, you need to have that money coming in so you can support who you need to support and support yourself even uh so anyway i'm doing that and then i'm still working on lucky orange doing it all uh, and it just started growing. And then of creating a minimal viable product, when you start using the product, you start wanting more things out of the product. So I made this thing where all of a sudden I see who's on my website in real time. And then, but they're not doing what I want them to do, right? Mm. I want to talk to them. I want to be like, hey, why don't you do this? Or did you need some help or something? So I want to now communicate with them. Uh, so that evolved. And from that came, okay, now you can chat with your customers. Let's implement chatting with your while you're seeing your customers or something. Um, let's implement getting feedback from these customers, right? And then the next evolution is, okay, well, I can't sit here all day long and watch them in real time. I need to save these things somewhere and play them back like a, a recording was invented, right? Originally, I wasn't saving it. Mm. It was just you had to be there. You had to see them in real time. So all these things started evolving. There's a technical challenge with all of them which is unlike anything I've ever done before because 
scale of the software is what, what we're processing is different than I think about like a Google Analytics or something that just basically tells you numbers of people on your site. There's a bunch of counts, right? There's many people came from Florida. This people came from this search engine, this guy, whatever. And it's a bunch of counts and they're just doing that. What we're doing is that, but every visitor that goes to a website, when they start moving their mouse around the website, we're, we're like storing mouse movements, right? We're storing clicks on buttons. We're storing every time the HTML of the page changes. If you if, if all of a sudden a div is coming in and out and fading in and out, that back to you in a recording so you can see what did that user really see? Well, they really saw the div fading in and out, fading in and out. So we have to send that data somehow. So it's all this data that's enormous. It's enormous. We could have one customer who has a million visitors a month. I don't have to build a website that handles a million visitors a month. I need to build a website that handles tens of thousands of customers who have a million visitors a month. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the, the scale is really, really, really enormous. Um, yeah, well, um, I, I want to uh, interject just for a moment. Um, sure. Number one, the, the ability to see all that data, um, you know, again, full disclosure, being a customer, um, you've put our UX and UI team to uh, the absolute maximum hours of uh, weekly <laughs> recordings because of how many changes that we're constantly doing on the personal web uh, on the website that we have. Um, but one thing in particular that I'm I'm curious is that you know you you have the the, the traction of people willing to buy it. So you have the traction of people willing to buy it. How are you able to grow? to sure. where you are today. How were you able to achieve your first 100 customers? Yes. So the first 100 customers is really that painstaking process of just one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. Um, but again, I think I'd noticed that there was traction in the beginning. And because I did so many other sites, I could feel the difference mm. in traction, right? Until you do 10 others and you know, okay, well, it's taking me six months to get someone to buy on this project, right? And all of a sudden, the first couple of days, they're like, oh, here you go. Here's money, whatever you want. You know, oh, it's too cheap, they kept telling me. My customers were telling me it's too cheap. Hmm. So then it was, okay, something's wrong with that. Because if it's too cheap, they think it's it, it's built cheaply or that gotcha. you know it, it can't possibly be have all these things. It can't possibly do all that for this amount of money. But it really does do a lot of, of amazing amount of things very affordable amount of money. Um, but the difference is then turning it into from a hobby into a business, right? Mm. Turning it from a product into a company. Mm. And that I didn't do on my own. So that, you know, there came a point where I, I was, there was enough customers and enough traction that I had to decide, is this a hobby? Is this a business? What are we doing with this? Um, and, I did, and I made the decision, okay, put the dog stuff on the side. Let's go for this full force. Do this, you know, full time and see what we could do. Um, and I did it for like like a year. I did about a year on my own. And it, and it was a struggle. Um, and after a year, I looked around for somebody to help me out. And I found um, my brother-in-law, uh, Danny Weitzman, who uh, is actually married to my wife's twin sister. So, uh, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Um, so I, I got him. I found him. I said, you know, I think, Danny, you would be perfect to help me conduct, I've invented a product, let's turn it into a company. And he absolutely was uh, the best person for the, for the job. And so the two of us, you know, transformed this hobby into an actual company. 
Um, and it's, I, I can't emphasize how much of a difference there is between someone creating a product and someone creating a company, right? I'm sure you know that from this entrepreneurial show. Sure. Um, they, they, they're just not the same thing, yeah. right? Uh, I don't, if you've read the E-Myth, I'm sure people who watch this have read the E-Myth, but you know, I'm a technician, so I can create things and come up with ideas and things like that. And the myth is that the technician knows how to actually run a company, and they're so different, right? Mm -hmm. So now I have to worry about, you know, okay, how do we grow? How do you grow customers, keep customers happy? How do you deal with customer support? How do you deal with scaling? How do you deal with um, uh, negotiating contracts? How do you deal with you know, growing our staff? All these different things to do with coding or or building a product um and and the next step was really bringing him on board and working as a team to figure out how we do that yeah and we had a whole bunch of ideas um and how to do that but really it all comes down to creating good systems and good processes mm. that you can bring more people in to that system and that process and it can still run really well mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. um so we just hired uh, our fourth developer, uh, and you know now it's all about bringing him into, well, we already have a development process. We already have a system of uh, feedback from the customer, gets into our process of integrating that into the system, who takes it, how they code it, uh, all, all these different systems in place. Even with automating um, the code, right? Even mm -hmm. our, our how, how we code has its own system. So like every time one of our developers is to push a change to the code base, whatever it is, we have these automated tools that are running in the background and running test after test and checking their code and making sure it does this, make sure it does that and warning them if it does that. So like creating systems like that in place is really um, part of that conversion from, from hobby to company and, and it needs to be not just in development, but in, in everything and how they do customer service, how they do sales, how they write. All of that is all about building great systems. Mm, interesting. So has there been one particular system that has worked exponentially well that allowed you guys to obtain, to, to grow? Um, yeah, I guess I'm, I, what I'm really curious to hear is, um, you know, especially to where you are now, there has to be some type of thing that says, like, are people referring you? Are you just naturally uh, getting business from people who find you on the web? Um, so what is yeah. that one scalable process that has worked really well for you guys to be where you are today? I think I'm going to write a, another e-myth book about that because I <laughs> thought the same thing. And, and I was like, well, there's got to be a silver bullet. or what, Maybe if you spend you know PPC in this particular area and you ramp up the PPC or this, mm -hmm. then you could just continue to get customers. customers. And, and we haven't really found one silver bullet. Hmm. That does. It really seems to be many things mm. all working together. Um, I wish there was. And if there does come a day that I find it, fantastic. But I haven't found that yet. A large part of our customers do come from word of mouth, and that's how it grew in the beginning. In the beginning, I didn't anything on it. It was just word of mouth. You know, enough people just started using it and thought it was interesting and had value, and which is that's the important keyword, right? Does your product have value? And I was always trying to create something that I found valuable, that I would pay money for because I found value to it. Mm. Um, 
there's so many things out there I've seen come my way, and, and I'm just I, I don't see what the value is. So if there's no value in it, you know, what's the what's yeah. the point? Um, and so anyway, it really is a lot of those things. The word of mouth was a, was a huge one. Um, we did a lot of good strategic partnerships. Um, so for instance, like we are uh, featured number one, we're a number one app in the Shopify app store. So I don't know if you know what Shopify is, but Shopify is like an e-commerce website builder and there's people who have their websites and we're an app in there. So all you have to do is go on the app store and click a button and install Lucky Orange and it installs it for you. So getting into app stores is like another thing uh, of finding every single thing you could do. You know, we have sales team that deals with enterprise customers. Um, even basic customers who are enterprise can talk to someone in sales or support. Um, we do whatever it takes, mm -hmm. uh, whatever it takes to, to grow the business. But there is not a silver bullet. There really isn't. That's yeah, interesting. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm curious to hear this answer. Um, it being the technician that you are, um, if you were to meet one person that would help and further support, give advice for your business, who would you want to meet and why would you want to meet them? Um, honestly, I, I don't have anybody that I would want to meet. And that's totally okay. Um, because, uh, like, for instance, we, we didn't take capital to run this business. Um, we do things a little differently. So for us, business is always like about common sense. It's interesting how people can run a business, not have any income coming into the business, and somehow people are throwing millions of dollars at the business to keep it afloat. <laughs> and it never made sense to me. So we tried the opposite approach. It's like, well, let's see if we can make something that generates revenue and fund the business from revenue. What a ludicrous concept, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Nowadays, nowadays but, um, it's very unheard of. It's unheard of. It's unheard of. And I, and I see so many people go out of business and they, they got $2 million in funding or this in funding. And it's really just, they just have enough money to, you know, somehow pay the salaries. And then all of a sudden everybody has to go find another job. And we did not want to do that. And um, so we really try to fund everything from that, that business. And, and for the same token of you're saying like, who, who would I ask? Who would I ask advice? I, I, I've, See, so many people have given me advice. I've come up with is just to listen to myself. Mm. Um, so if I'm going to go find somebody else to give me advice, unless it's like John Kabat-Zinn telling me to you know, be mindful, maybe that's the advice that I would I would definitely take yeah. take to heart. <laughs> I respect that. Uh, and kudos to you guys for being cash flow positive and just absolutely killing it. I mean, that's some... Uh, again, the, as you mentioned uh, before, rare, um, whether fortunately or unfortunately, fortunately for you. Um, yeah. So uh, I have uh, only a couple more questions left, um, but I think something that's really important are uh, for entrepreneurs are habits. Um, is there anything that you do throughout your day? Uh, you mentioned that you have kids. You mentioned that you also like dogs. Is there something that you do throughout your day that makes you become more efficient throughout your day? No, <laughs> there, <laughs> Still isn't. To figure out. Uh, there isn't. Yeah, right. Um, I think that I'm constantly trying to tweak things in my life. But uh, I think a big question I always ask myself is like, overall, am I doing a good enough job? Overall, am I being a good dad? Overall, is this you know good enough code? 
that overall question is so important because hmm. you can always nit nitpick against every single thing in your life, every relationship, everything you're building, any business, whatever. You could say, oh, it's not good enough, not good enough. But if you ask yourself, well, is it overall, is it good enough? Usually it's yes. Usually the answer is yes. It's overall good enough. Um, and that gives a little bit peace of mind of things. Um, I try to keep things very relaxed in the office. Mm. So uh, I'm not a, uh, you know, a, I, I don't um, put too much pressure on people. Themselves. Um, so something we do all the time is it's like a blame-free environment. Um, something breaks, it's like, yeah, something's going to break. It's, it's always going to break. It doesn't matter what we put in place to try and prevent it from breaking or something. Hmm. What can we learn from it? Um, how could we reprove that next time around? But it's not like um, I'm mad about it or anything. Mm -hmm. I actually, I don't care at all. I think it's part of the natural process of just being human is, is that we make mistakes and that that's okay. Uh, that, that's something I check in with myself a lot on. Mm, I, mentioned, I mentioned that mindfulness piece with John Kabat-Zinn, not just as a joke, but that really was a big part of uh, a turning point in my life was coming uh, to that. I don't know if you know who he is or, or what he talks. I'm not too familiar now. Yeah, so it's something called mindfulness where it's, it's really just paying attention to whatever's going on mm. right now, right in the moment. Um, and that could be, uh, you know, if I'm nervous right now, that I notice that I'm nervous, mm. you know. If I notice that I'm rambling or if I'm being hard on myself that I notice internally, even in my mind that I'm I'm noticing it. So it's it's something I use every day to just try and deal with all the stresses that come my way. Was there a moment? I mean, that's a very interesting point. And I think that takes a very uh, intellectual human being to be cognizant of if uh, they of being aware. I mean, that is a trained a trained skill. Um, it, was it from reading a book? Was it from, uh, was it from, like, did it take years yeah. of practice to do this? It was from my therapist. Yeah. From. <laughs> yeah. from my therapist. I remember uh, that. Note to self. Yeah, you note know, to self. You can skip therapy. I give you this, this <laughs> the quick pass. Uh, so, yeah, he did, he did write a book. I, I think most of it is probably, it's like Americanized Buddhism, I imagine, mm. more mindfulness is. But he, he wrote a great book um, on mindfulness. If you look up John Kabat-Zinn, but the, the idea is come to your mind all the time, right? And your mind just wanders with so many different things. And a lot of times, some of the things that come to your mind are very charged, and they have a strong feeling associated with them. Uh, and sometimes they're not. But even when they are, most of the time, we're, we're living in those memories, and we're stuck in those memories. And they come to our minds, and all of a sudden, we're back in that moment of trauma, mm -hmm. you know, 20 years ago or whatever when you're a little kid and you feel like you're there right now and that distracts you from what's really going on right now and sometimes what's going on right now is you're just distracted with your memory of the past that's mm -hmm. what's happening right now it's not that you're living in the that you're actually reliving that moment or that someone's harming you right now most of the time in our life we're safe and we're fine so there's few moments when we're, we're not fine and it kind of sticks with us. Yeah. And it affects every part of your life. Um, it, when I was creating different ideas, uh, the mindfulness approach that helped me move on from one idea to the next is not being attached to each idea. Mm. People get really attached to their idea and they can't let it go, you know, mm -hmm. when it's time to let it go. 
And, and, and I was okay with saying, okay, just try quickly. And I don't care if I let it go. It didn't have the same meaning to me because it was all part of my exploration of, you know, what am I going to create? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, and eloquently stated for sure. I, I do have one final question before, uh, before we end here, if that's okay with you. Um, the, the Blind Entrepreneur was created, this podcast um, was created for individuals who may be temporarily blind in business. Um, they're not mindful. Um, they're not aware of their surroundings or what it is that they're saying. Um, or maybe they created a software that they just, uh, they, it's not making the traction that they want. So to those individuals who are temporarily blind in business and cannot see the obvious, what are three pieces of advice that you would give to that fellow entrepreneur? Um, the first thing and anything I think that you're going to create is to really figure out what value it actually has to, if, if it's just your life, then fine, or at least someone else who you think you can sell it to, right? To say, what is this really going to do for them? Why would they pay you any money? Um, if you're going to try and make money off of it, if, if you're not, then that's fine, but it's not going to be a business you could support, right? <laughs> Unless it's donations. But anyway, um, so find value in your product and figure out what that value is. And if you can't, if you really don't know that there's value there, Unless you feel it deeply and just can't articulate it, because that can happen too, where you have this deep sense of, no, I, I really do feel like this has value. I just can't articulate it yet or something. That's one case. But if you cannot de feel deep down that it has value, then maybe it's time to let it go and learn from it and move on to the next stage. You know, it's, it's not a failure at all. It's really not a failure at all. It's just learn trying and playing around with it. I wish we could change that word growing up. Uh, I don't tell my kids they're failing anything. I just say, you're just learning. Mm. You know, replace the word failure with learning and you're fine. Um, so I guess that would be number one, two, and three. Um, <laughs> uh, other advice? Don't be so quick to go seek out capital. Hmm. Uh, don't be so quick to seek out capital because I, I think it's more important to, to show that you can bring in something some revenue even if it's ten dollars even or a hundred dollar whatever it is capital and they've never demonstrated that they can bring in any revenue because at the end of the day if you're only looking two years down or one year down the line how am i going to pay my employees for one year down what are you going to do after after that year when you can't figure out how to make revenue mm -hmm. right how are you going to keep those people employed how are you going to really run a business because running a business is not about giving you a job it's about giving somebody else a job and that, that's where we are right now, that we can give other people jobs. And I want to keep doing that and make sure that I can do that for the long term. So, so don't go be so quick to get capital. Um, and to, uh, the third one, uh, really trust your gut. Do not ignore that voice inside. You know, it, it, it takes effort, but there's, it's there for a reason. It tries to, people try to beat that out of us as a young kid all the time. Even our parents do it inadvertently, you know, to not listen to your gut. I found with my kids, if I really want to know the truth about the world, just ask. they really, they know the answers. <laughs> you know, they, they don't have any filter. They don't have any of that shame about it. And they'll just <laughs> tell it like it is. Be like, no. So, so listen, try to find that kid voice that was kicked out of you and, mm. and shamed out of you. There's, it's, it's great in there. So take that kid voice and graduate it to a wise adult voice. Bring them together, and I think you'll do just fine. Love it. Spoken like a true veteran entrepreneur, Brian, I really <laughs> appreciate your time. 
Uh, you have successfully completed the podcast, so congratulations to you. Oh, thank um, you. The next 30 seconds is entirely yours to just talk about yourself. Go ahead and tell everyone how they can learn more about you, how they can be a part of your journey, and how they can become a, a customer of yours. Absolutely. Um, well, definitely visit luckyorange.com. Uh, sign up for a free trial uh, and give us your feedback. We take so much feedback to heart. I mean, you can get on chat and, and we're such a small, um, close-knit group. If you start chatting with somebody, reach over and say, hey, Brian, we just got an idea from so-and-so. You know, Let's get it implemented. Uh, and we really do do that stuff. So um, definitely check out luckyorange.com. Give it a shot. Uh, I think you'll be delighted with it. Very cool. Well, thank you again for everybody that is still watching and listening, for always liking, commenting, and subscribing. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube and head over to theblindentrepreneur.com for more interviews. Being blind in business is temporary, and I hope after listening to the wisdom of Brian, you are now able to see more clearly. Go out there and execute your vision. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much for watching this video. Don't forget to follow me on any and all social media platforms using the long last name above, followed by the letter J. If you want to get lost into the dark abyss of YouTube, click either left or right for another video. And finally, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. No, seriously, don't forget.